just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Saturday. A lot of stuff happened yesterday that we are going to talk about. I wanted to bring something else up, though. I like to throw little personal asides into it because I think a lot of people experience similar things, and it's good to get it out there. I've been a long supporter of uh, Medicare for All, having better health coverage for folks. Now, I've been fortunate throughout most of my life where I've had health coverage, either through my business or now independently because I'm retired. And uh, I've only had a few minor problems with my health care. But, you know, over the years, health care for me has gotten more expensive and covering less shit. Uh, so I went from a point when I first started my job in with the radio station where I had coverage from a government agency where I paid a little bit every two weeks out of my check and it covered everything for me, my wife, my kids, everything. It was great. But as time went on, the coverage became more expensive, but less and less was covered. And it got a little frustrating. And I never really thought about it because fortunately with my family, we never really spent a lot of time at the doctor's office or in the hospital. My family's been pretty healthy. I'm uh, fortunate of that. But since I retired, since my wife retired, we have coverage through something called Minsure, which is kind of the ACA here in Minnesota. And they line you up with different places you can get coverage from, different insurance companies. And uh, I, I, I hooked up with something called UCARE because it's fairly popular around here. And I was looking at the prices, looking at what it covered, and it's all cool. So my wife and I have that, and we've had a couple of minor things we've used it for, but nothing serious, okay? Now, keep in mind, at first we were paying about 1200 bucks a month for my wife and I. But when the, uh, the COVID relief bill came out and there's a deduction on your health care, it pretty much cut it in half, but still at six or seven hundred bucks a month, it's still expensive. And, you know, I've gone in to have checkups, get medication, that sort of thing. I never really paid attention too much about what was going on. And so now I've got an issue with my eye. I've got cataracts in my left eye. Now, I had cataract surgery probably four years ago. In my right eye. They said I didn't need it in my left eye. So cool. We did that and uh, everything was fine. And, and, and I think we did it still while my wife had coverage with her job. So anyway, I'm starting to sense <laughs> I got some problems with my left eye. It's even gotten to the point where I really can't see much out of my left eye other than colors and, and, and kind of it's kind of milky. So I know... It's the cataracts coming up on the left side. So what I want to do is I want to make an appointment so I can go see the surgeon who worked on my wife and uh, get this shit fixed. Seems simple of fuck enough. So anyway, I go to the doctor that she went to because I went to a different doctor. And they said, okay, here's the deal. Um, you're going to have to come in for an eye exam first, and then we'll take it from there. I said, cool, no, whatever. I said, what's the copay on that? And they said, it's $70. Oh, that's pretty fucking high, but okay, that's fine. So anyway, the day before I'm supposed to come in, on Thursday, I was to be in there yesterday, and uh, they called me up and they said, hey, uh, look, uh, you're coming in for this eye exam and the cost is going to be 600 bucks. I said, what? How is an eye exam going to be 600 bucks? And they said, well, it's something with your coverage. My coverage? So now I'm pissed off. I don't ever get angry and yell on the phone, but now I'm calling everybody. I first call my 
healthcare provider, okay? And I say to them, what's the deal? I'm trying to get my uh, surgery on my eye, and they're telling me it's going to be um, $600 for an eye exam. That's not even the fucking surgery. This is just so I can get approved to get the surgery. And uh, I was talking to a young woman. She she couldn't be uh, more than 25 years old. And I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not going to scream at her. It's not her fault. She's just doing what she's supposed to do. And I'm not really getting definitive answers about this. Eventually, we find out that here's the deal. With the insurance I have, if I go in and it's a diagnostic test, they're looking at my eye to do something medical, something bigger than just the eye test, then it's $70. But if it's just a standard eye test, then they don't pay for it and it's $600. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got health insurance. I pay a lot of fucking money. I would think at the very least, a standard eye test would be part of the things that are covered. And they said, well, it is covered for people under 19. I go, what? (laughs) Under 19? They don't need fucking eye tests. So I'm really confused about this. I call Minsure and I explain the situation. And they basically tell me, listen, if your coverage is fucked, all you can do is wait for the period where you can switch it. And that's not till November. So I'm thinking to myself, so my option is to sit here with my eye not working and wait till November. I go, that, that's not going to fucking cut it. But now I know what the situation is. I know that if it's diagnostic, it's 70 bucks. If it's just a standard eye test, then it's 600 bucks. Fucking crazy. So I called the clinic again. I said, look, man. Here's the deal. And they go, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I said, but this is definitely going to be a diagnostic thing. I know I have cataracts. I know what the deal is. So can we just agree that that's what's going to happen? And they said, you know, people come in here with different things. They do different things. And some people are kind of weird. Here's what's going to happen. And after about two hours on the phone, I finally got this answer. And it at least was acceptable. It's still confusing to me. She says, look, you come in here, and if we do the eye test and you don't have cataracts, then it's going to be 600 bucks." I said, but I know I have cataracts. I can't see out of the fucking eye. And uh, she says, well, then what will happen? You'll come in. We'll see that you can't see out of the eye. We'll have to set up surgery, and then we'll charge you the 70 bucks." I said, I can't get any assurances before I get there. She says, well, you're pretty confident that you have cataracts. I go, I know I have them said, no problem. Okay, that was a good answer. At least I got something. Took two hours to fucking get it. She could have told me that when she called me in the first place, but she didn't. So I go in and I have the eye test and I have, believe it or not, a cataract in my left eye. A pretty significant one too at that. And so now she says, okay, we'll set it up. I paid the 70 bucks. I'm happy about that. And then And now we've got to set it up to have this eye surgery. But first I have to have a video consult, uh, which will probably cost me, I don't know, 40, 70 bucks. I don't know. Then I have to go in and see the doctor and have a consult. And then I can set up the surgery. So now the surgery is four to five weeks out. And I'm going, wow, this is fucking ridiculous. This just seems like a grift to add more appointments on to make more money. My problem with this whole situation is that when I call my healthcare provider, I don't get really good answers. And I'm not going to blame the girl I was talking to because she's just answering the phone. I told her to get somebody to that I could talk to that maybe had some better insight to this. I was very nice to her. She's a nice kid. She could have been my daughter or granddaughter. I'm not going to get on her shit. That's that's a shitty way to do things. And you'll never get anything accomplished if you do that. So anyway, we get through this whole thing. I have the eye test. I'm going to go through two consults and then I'm going to get the surgery and it'll be fine. And it's not something I can't handle. I'm, I'm not worried about this. This will all be fine. Now, of course, when I get there, 
and we have the surgery, I find out I have like a $2,800 deductible. Okay, that sucks. Never experienced that in my life before, but if that's what it's going to take and I get to see again, well, then it's fine. But then they tell me something over and above that. They said, here's the deal. Your your deductible is $2,800. And I don't even know what these surgeries cost, but if a fucking eye test is $600, God knows what the surgery is going to be. They said, you cover the first $2,800. And then the insurance takes over. And I go, cool. But then she says, but you still have to pay 30% of what's beyond the $2,800. I'm going, fucking A. I don't even really have coverage here. I've got to look very much closer in November when I switch my insurance because, you know, I don't go into the doctor a lot, so this doesn't really bother me normally, but this is fucked up. And so apparently with healthcare, eyes and ears are kind of separated. It's kind of like dental and you have to have extra. I, the whole thing is fucking ridiculous. And here's what frustrates me about this. It's not about the problems I'm dealing with. I'm fucking retired. I can sit on the phone for three hours with these people if they want. And, and, and I have enough money that I can pay the things they need. But if you're young and have a bunch of kids and have no money and have no time, this really puts a a cinch in your effort to just get simple health care coverage. This needs to be fucking changed. This is ridiculous. And again, I'm not worried about me. I got the time. I got a few bucks, so I'll be fine. But I remember what it's like being a young person and trying to get health care coverage. And thank God, back in the day, it wasn't this difficult. So not only is it expensive, not only is it not covering as much stuff as you would think, but it's difficult to get through the process because nobody talks straight to you. I don't know. It's frustrating. And the only reason I bring it up is because we've got a lot of rational boomers out here. We're all going through the same things uh, with health care. You know, we're either taking it on ourselves or, or we're getting it from COBRA or maybe you're still working and you're getting it from them. But every year, health care gets shittier and it makes it tougher for us to get the care we need. And this is why I've always said, you know, we need to change this whole fucking thing. But the health care situation isn't going to change until the midterms. We get in the midterms, we vote properly. We give enough of a margin of majority in the House and the Senate, then we can finally get things done, whether it be Medicare for all or something that's something simpler. It's one thing if they don't cover shit. It's another thing if it's too expensive. But if the process to get through it is confusing or upsetting or difficult, you almost have to wonder, why am I paying this much money every month if I have to jump through hoops and still come out of my pocket with a bunch of money? I'm glad I'm not a young father anymore because I, I don't know how the fuck I would deal with that. I didn't have that kind of discretionary money. So anyway, I had to put my complaint out there. But I think a lot of us are, are dealing with things similar to this. And this is something that needs to be addressed. I know the Democrats want to do that, and hopefully they will be doing that. All right, let's talk about some of the things that are going on. <laughs> and we had another good day. You know, we had uh, Alex Jones in court uh, because he was <clears throat> he was um, he lost a civil lawsuit in a defamation of character with Sandy Hook parents because he said it was a hoax and all that sort of stuff. Now, you have to understand something. This isn't all Sandy Hook parents. This is just two of them, a married couple. This is just two of them that are suing him. Now, on uh, Thursday, uh, they awarded the Sandy Hook parents compensatory money of $4.1 million. And that basically covers their expenses that they've gone through up to this point and what they will have in the future. So that's the compensatory. Yesterday, they gave him the punitive damages and they awarded the uh, 
the parents $45 million. Now we're talking. Now we're we're, we're, we're setting a precedence where people are going to sit up and take notice and say, we can't do this bullshit anymore because we're going to pay a price. Now, here's the interesting thing. What a lot of people don't know is that uh, this is just one civil lawsuit. There's at least two more exactly the same as this coming up, one in Texas, one in Connecticut, where the shooting happened. So Alex Jones, for as upset and uh, flustered as he was in this particular court case, he's going to have to go over it again and again and again. There were 20 kids killed. And uh, he could theoretically be sued by every one of them. And if they start winning court cases, you can bet that every one of them is going to sue him. And, and of course, this will crush him financially, personally, and in his business, and maybe finally take him off the air and get this stupid son of a bitch off the air. See, the thing is, the thing is, is that uh, he goes into court, he gets his ass kicked by the judge and the attorneys and such, and uh, then he goes on the air afterwards and starts spewing bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Now there is one other chunk of money that this 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 uh, these parents are going to get, along with the judgments. Jones will have to pay an additional one point five million dollars in sanctions. Houston attorney Mark Bankston said. Now jurors in the Austin, Texas courtroom were tasked with finding an appropriate amount that Jones and Infowars must pay to a pair of Sandy Hook parents whose six-year-old boy Jesse died in the 2012 Connecticut shooting that left 20 kids and six adults dead. So this is just one set of parents. And uh, this could go on for a long time. Now, for years, Jones and his outlet have claimed that the shooting was fake, leading to harassment of the families from listeners of the show. See, that's that's the other thing that I don't think people understand. It's one thing to disrespect them in the way they did and lie about them the way he did. But in addition, these dumb, trump stupid sons of bitches would hear this as told by Alex Jones, and then they would harass these parents, threaten these parents. It's not bad enough that these people went through their six-year-old child being killed. Now they had to be under threat for the last 10 fucking years. That's who these people are. They are animals, and they are the lowest forms of life. And Jones is the leader of the lowest forms of of life. Now, Jones lost the case along with several others before it could even go to trial after a judge ruled default judgment. And the reason he got a default judgment on this thing, if you remember, when the trial went ahead, he just didn't show up. He didn't provide any information. He didn't provide any documents. He didn't show up. And when you don't show up to a trial, you fucking automatically lose. So he didn't even try. He was so arrogant that he thought, if I just don't participate, it'll all go away. Well, there's where the stupidity is. Of course, it doesn't go away. And now he's fucking around and finding out. Now, during his closing argument Friday, attorney Wes Ball thanked the jurors for the previous ruling of $4.1 million against Jones, but said it wouldn't be enough to adequately punish. He said, you must make a statement loud and clear that the gold rush of misinformation and fear must end, and it must end today, Ball said, before the jury's final verdict. And that's a good point. As well as punishing Alex Jones, it's got to put this information out there for the others like Alex Jones, you can't be doing this bullshit anymore. Friday's final verdict could potentially be capped by a Texas law that says punitive damages can't be more than twice the compensatory compensatory damage of $4.1 million plus an additional $750,000 per plaintiff. Attorney Bankston told HuffPost his team will litigate that if necessary. 
Now, Jones' two-week trial has helped peel back the curtain on InfoWars, ethically bankrupt operation, and offered a greater glimpse into the profits Jones and his web outlet have reaped while spreading lies about the shooting. Now, on Wednesday, Jones was confronted on the stand with earnings that the InfoWars store, which sells non-FDA-approved supplements along with survival gear, uh, and he has done this over the years. And, you know, I find this ironic. Here's a guy selling supplements for health purposes, and the motherfucker looks like a meatball. I mean, on TikTok or on this podcast, <laughs> I'm not going to sell shit that says, hey, if you want beautiful hair, <laughs> if you want to be the peak of perfection in terms of your fitness, that's silly. Why would I do that? I'm 62 years old. I've lost a lot of my hair, and I'm not in the best shape. I'm not really a good spokesman for that shit, but he does it. And then we find out, of course, it's not FDA approved, and the shit doesn't work. And, of course, these dumb fucks keep buying it. A one particularly profitable day, for instance, the store made $800,000, even though Jones is trying to tell him, I'm broke. I don't have any money. Jones did not dispute the number, but complained that lawyers for the plaintiffs were cherry-picking his most lucrative days. Earlier this year, that Jones store made $165 million in products from 2015 to 2018. Jones was also recently given $8 million in anonymous Bitcoin donation. When asked about the donation, Joe Jones told uh, Huffington Post outside the court last week that he'd already spent it. <laughs> of course you did, you fucking greedy motherfucker. So what's happening here is, is, is Alex Jones is being exposed for the piece of shit he is. He lost this case. He's got two more cases for sure coming up. He will lose those cases. Uh, and there'll probably be more. There's 20 sets of parents that lost kids that day um, at Sandy Hook. Alex Jones will be destroyed financially, personally, and with his business. And hopefully this takes him off the air permanently. Somehow, some way, maybe he'll have a fucking TikTok or start his own podcast like mine and still try to grift people. But he won't be able to see... Um, the kind of income that he's been used to seeing. Because trust me, <laughs> between TikTok and the podcast, I'm not making a lot of money, but that's not why I'm doing it. I, I, I'm not in dire need of money to support myself. I'm doing it because I want to do it. I think it's important to do it. And I like the interaction with the listeners. But uh, I'm thinking that Alex Jones has a pretty hefty budget and he's going to have to find a way to replace what he's going to lose now. And he's going to lose. He thinks he can file bankruptcy and get away with it. That's not true. That's not what's going to happen. He is going to be stuck. He is going to be destroyed. And again, we've talked about this before. This money situation and being destroyed financially is the least of his problems. Because apparently there's a lot of stuff in those uh, cell phone data that uh, his lawyer accidentally, and I don't know if it's accidentally, sent to the parents' lawyers. How do you do that? That's a significant amount of data. How do you accidentally send it to the lawyer? Here's what I'm thinking. A year ago when this whole thing started, they asked for this data. The lawyers in discovery, the lawyers for the parents, had every right to see this data. But what did they do? Alex Jones and the lawyers said it doesn't exist. There are no text messages. We can't turn them over. Okay, that seems hard to believe, but that's what they said. Then all of a sudden, it shows up in, in, in their lawyer's mailbox, and surprise, surprise, they do exist. Now, these people want to try to control what's in that information. They sent it inadvertently, supposedly, and this stuff was supposed to not even exist. Now, if you're a lawyer, 
and you go to court and lie about something like there is no data, you're in a fucking lot of trouble as an attorney, as an officer of the court. So I'm thinking these attorneys have said, Jesus, we're in a fucking spot now. Let's just accidentally send it to them if they complain that we lied about this and we can say they just got it. I'm thinking at this point the lawyers see that uh, Alex Jones is fucking done. He's dead in the water. You're going to see people peeling away from him and acting like he never existed and they had nothing to do with him, which won't work, but they will try to do that. There is only one person that's trying to support and protect Alex Jones at this point. You never guess who it is. <laughs> well, it's Roger Stone. But part of the reason Roger Stone is trying to protect uh, um, Alex Jones is because they revealed that some of these texts were between Alex Jones and Roger Stone. And the reason this is a problem for both of them is because they were both heavily involved in the January 6th insurrection. And this is going to give a lot of evidence to that effect. So Roger Stone is going to try to spin it, divert, distract, do whatever the fuck he does and try to save him. In fact, Roger Stone said, you need to go to Alex Jones' website and donate to his cause. No matter how bad it looks, they always turn to the fucking grift. They always fucking turn to the grift. And and people keep falling for it. But Alex Jones and Roger Stone are now in some deep, deep trouble. Because the January 6th committee will get a hold of all this data. Ultimately, the DOJ will end up seeing it. And there's probably all kinds of proof of criminality on this data. Not only the January 6th insurrection, but things beyond that. Now, I've seen stories, Ed Jones told me about it on a uh, podcast, that apparently there's talk of child porn on this phone. Now, I'm sure he's going to have an excuse for that, but if that is true, and I don't know that it's true for sure, these are stories I've heard, and I haven't heard it from a verified uh, a verified source as yet, at least in my mind. So I'm not going to say it's true. But if that's what they find on this thing, it's fucking game over. You know, regardless of how it got there, uh, I'm sure he'll say, well, my phone was hacked and it was put there. Then why didn't she get rid of it? So Alex Jones is in a world of trouble. His only friend right now is Roger Stone up until the time they have to go to court when Roger Stone will throw Alex Jones under the bus and Alex Jones will try to do the same to Roger Stone. This is a huge mess for Alex Jones and Roger Stone's getting sucked into it. He will be sucked all the way into it. And it couldn't happen to two better guys. This is karma. This is people being narcissistic and arrogant and thinking they can get away with anything. And now they're in a position that they can't talk or pressure or bully their way out of. So this is going to be very entertaining. This is going to be fun to watch. Watch the rest of the Republicans, save for Roger Stone, abandon Alex Jones, even though he was their buddy. They're going to abandon him because they know he is poison at this point. Anybody close to Alex Jones is going to have trouble. Now, these people can pull away from him if they like. But, you know, this data and videotapes and all this shit is going to connect them anyway. If they were going to back away from Donald Trump and Alex, Alex Jones and Roger Stone, they should have done it a long time ago. It's too late now. They have already been tainted by this, and they're going to be in some deep shit, too. There is going to be a lot of fucking indictments, a lot of indictments, including Donald Trump. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, surprisingly, unlike most shows on the Rational Boomer podcast, there's going to be a lot of positive good news. We got the good news that uh, Alex Jones is fucking done. Stick a fork in him. I suggested in a TikTok that he's going to have to find a new way to grift money. And what he should do is probably print up a T-shirt with his cartoon-looking pig face on the T-shirt. And under that, just write, so fucked, (laughs) because he is so fucked. Now, you know the Republicans have long been chiding Joe Biden about the economy, how bad the economy is. And it's all Joe Biden's fault. We've got inflation. We have got... uh, Uh, high gas prices, and all that sort of thing. And uh, Thursday on Fox News, we had a lot of people, and they've done this before, and they got caught short that time too. But on Fox News, they had these two pundits. I don't even know who the fuck they are. I didn't recognize them at all. But they were talking about the jobs report that was going to come out the next day on Friday. And they were smiling and laughing and saying, oh, he's in trouble now because... The job. One guy said the jobs report is going to be about two hundred and fifty thousand new jobs, and that's and that's considerably lower than what it's been. I think uh, last month it was four hundred thousand something. And then the other guy, the other pundit, said, "Oh no, no, it's going to be more like a hundred thousand new jobs, and that will prove that we're in a recession." The other guy says, the first guy says, do you really think we're in a recession? And the second guy says, I know we're in a recession. And when that jobs report comes out, that will be the proof. (laughs) Well, the jobs report came out yesterday. And 528,000 new jobs were created by Joe Biden and the Democrats. Well, that kind of pisses in their Cheerios, doesn't it? So you think they back off and say, oh, geez, we're sorry. That's great. We've got all these new jobs. No, no, of course, they don't do that. Now, keep in mind, the number of jobs that Joe Biden's administration created just in July, the 528,000 that Joe Biden and the Democrats created in just July, far outweigh all the jobs that were created by Donald Trump in four years. Remember, Donald Trump is the only president in history to start with more jobs than when he left. He actually lost jobs, and he is the first president. We've had some pretty shitty presidents in our history, but Donald Trump is the only one to have lost jobs. You know, we're approaching 10 million new jobs by the Joe Biden administration in two fucking years. But they still have the audacity to suggest that, oh, we're going to be in a recession and and uh, Joe Biden's at fault for this. And they'll say, well, it's because inflation or gas prices. Interesting thing now, though, is inflation is coming down. Gas prices are coming down. So what are they going to say? They're still saying, oh, it's going to be a recession. (laughs) I heard somebody even say, oh, that jobs report is bad. And they go, what do you mean? It's bad. It's too too hot, too much. That's going to screw up the economy, too. Joe Biden can't win for fucking losing when it comes to the Republicans. They have some way they're going to spin it or so. So the Republicans have been talking about uh, how there is a recession, and uh, they think the reduced economic activity that can be politically devastating for the party in power, being the Democrats. Then, of course, yesterday, the U.S. Labor Department announced the economy had a half a million jobs last month, more than a half a million jobs, pushing the national unemployment rate down to 3.5% from 3.6%, which was already low compared to Donald Trump. Almost as low as it's ever gotten, and a strong indication that the economy is not, in fact, in a recession. The Republicans can say whatever they want, but the facts say something different, far different. Still, the Republicans insist at a press conference on Friday after this information came out where they bash Democrats' plan to 
pass a major domestic policy bill uh, that there's a recession going on. You can't raise taxes if there's a recession. (laughs) We're in a recession, and this bill is going to make it worse, said Senator Lindsey Graham. I think Lindsey's got some bigger issues to worry about than the economy of this country. He's just trying to own own the Democrats, and every time they try, they fuck up. Now, the Huffington Post asked the five Republican senators at the press conference how July's job growth could happen in a recession. Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana pointed out that in the first and second quarters of the year, the U.S. saw negative growth in gross domestic product, an important economic metric. The definition of a recession is negative GDP growth in two successive quarters, Cassidy said. Cassidy has a point. If you do a Google search for the definition of the word recession, the top dictionary result calls it a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and uh, industrial activity are reduced, generally identified by a fall in the GDP by two successive quarters. What they don't bother to mention is when Joe Joe got in, in the first several Several GDP announcements, they were up by six points, which was almost unprecedented. But economists don't use a simple rule of thumb to figure out when the economy is in a recession. They follow the determinations of the National Bureau of Economic Research, a private nonprofit organization that's served as a custodian for the business cycle's ups and downs since the 1960s. So you see what they've done The Republicans, they're just cherry-picking these little things and expanding on it and lying about it and hoping people will believe it. They do that with everything. Now, the NBER described a recession as a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across industries. Quarterly GDP is a factor, but the most important measure are personal income and payroll employment. Those metrics both show growth. So while the GDP has dropped some, in spite of the fact it grew hugely in the beginning, though it though it uh, dropped some, we got more jobs than ever. There are more people working in jobs in this country than ever before. The unemployment is about as low as you can get it. So what they're saying is not true. Now, the NBR explicitly explicitly rejects the two-quarters definition, stating that GDP could de- decline by relatively small amounts in two consecutive quarters without warranting the determination that the economic activity had peaked and begun to fall. The GDP readings this year showed modest declines for somewhat technical reasons, such as decreases in private inventory investment by businesses. And again, we're talking about a problem with the supply chain, and that would make sense. A tricky thing about the recession debate is that the recession determination comes many months after the fact. It's not like it can happen last month and, and we say, okay, here we are in a recession. These these Fox News people aren't even an efficient. They don't know what they're talking about. And secondly, it's too soon to even determine that. Um, so even after a recession start, there's no official declaration until later on. But again, you know, this is this is how the Republicans behave. They try to take little teeny things, expand on it and make look like everything is bad. This country is not in a recession, not yet. I'm not saying we can't get into one, but the facts tell us we are not. And for the Republicans to go out there and say we are just in hopes of winning some votes in the midterms shows the kind of pieces of shit they are. And since we're talking about pieces of shit, I've got one of the top of the heap or the bottom of the heap, whichever way you want to look at it. I'm talking, of course, of U.S. Senator Rick Scott, Republican of Florida. Now, he gave a lengthy speech at CPAC on Friday. You know what CPAC is. It started out as a normal conservative convention, and it's turned into a fucking shit show. You remember last year, they brought in the golden statue of Donald Trump. This year, they brought 
um, the leader of of Hungary, Orban, who is a fucking fascist dictator, a murderer, an awful human being. And he spouted stuff about uh, racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny. And you know what those Republicans at the CPAC convention did? They gave him a fucking standing ovation. So on Friday in Dallas, they were telling far-right conservatives that Democratic policies are evil. The militant left is the enemy and the greatest danger America has ever faced while claiming Democrats are wacky socialists and socialism is responsible for the deaths of 100 million people. Really? Since when do you care about people dying? You lost a million people to COVID because you said it was a hoax. Now, after calling U.S. Senator Ted Cruz one of the most principled individuals I know who will always stand up for what he believes, Scott told attendees at the Conservative Political Action Conference that the militant left wing in our country has become the enemy within and is the greatest danger we've faced. Now, the greatest danger is the people that tried to overthrow our country, and that would happen to be your fucking Republicans. Scott took his audience on an hour-long tour of 20th century history, but along the way he equated the military left with the woke left, who he says has now seized control of our economy, our culture, and our country. So let's say that's true. (laughs) They added 528,000 jobs. The stock market, because of something like this, is starting to go up. What's the downside here? What, What have they destroyed? We know the Republicans destroyed it in 2008. We know that Donald Trump destroyed the economy before Biden took over. There's been no signs of Democrats destroying anything. If nothing else, they've had to build it back up after the Republicans fucking destroyed it. I mean, 2008, George W. Bush left office. We were in the worst economic uh, condition that I've seen in my lifetime. And what happens? Obama comes in for two terms, eight years. And in those eight years, he tripled the stock market. That doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. And by the time Donald Trump got a hold of the economy, it was soaring with Obama. Donald Trump comes in. He takes credit for Obama's work. And then when he fails, like he always does, then he tries to blame it on somebody else. He he, he then, uh, Rick Perry, and I want to talk more about Rick Perry in a minute. He then equated the woke left with the entire Democratic Party, suggesting Democrats are socialists and socialists are communists, which is not true, before declaring socialism leads to two things, poverty and depression. Socialism is not a new idea. It's one of the dumbest, oldest, most despised ideas of the 20th century that resulted in the deaths of 100 million people. Those are his words, not my words. And this is coming from a guy who wrote a a list of 11 items, 11 line items that is supposed to be what the Senate plans to do when they get power. They're not getting power. But a few of those things on that list include eventually getting rid of entitlements like Medicare and Social Security. Yeah, that's what they call it, entitlements. We paid all our lives for this shit. How that's an entitlement, I have no fucking clue. They have also, in this list that Rick Perry laid out, um, they, they, they have also suggested that um, they're going to raise taxes on people in the middle income. And, of course, cut taxes on the people that are rich. This is what the Republicans do. When you know that that's what the Senate, Republican Senate, is hoping to do, why why would you vote for them? I mean, these Trumplifucks down in the South or wherever they ha- happen to be, most of these people aren't ultra-wealthy. They get Social Security. They get Medicare. But still, they're so fucking dumb that they will believe everything they hear. Now, Scott is likely referring to mass killings under communist regimes, including the Holocaust, genocides, crimes against humanity, even mass famines, none of which have anything to do with socialism or the Democratic Party. 
Now, when you turn on the news at night, do you even recognize the country you see, Scott said? Are you worried for your family? Are you worried for your freedoms? See, that's the thing about the Republican Party. Everything with them is about fear. The only way they get votes is instilling fear. Well, unfortunately, there's probably more fear on the Democratic side, the fear of them getting power again and overturning our democracy. Rick Scott went on to say they're destroying everything they touch and they've got their hands on everything. Here's the thing about what they're trying to destroy. American patriotism, border security, American history, gender, traditional morality, capitalism, fiscal responsibility, opportunity, rugged individualism, Judeo-Christian values. Free speech, law enforcement, religious liberty, parental involvement in schools, and even private ownership of firearms. Well, that's a really lengthy list, but what are they really talking about in that list? These are all just catchwords or, or, or code words for um, fascism, Fiscal security, giving money to the rich and taking it from the middle class. American history. They're talking about CRT and, 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 and how they don't want kids to learn about our history if it happens to uh, paint white people in a bad light. Gender. We're talking about the LGBTQ here. Traditional morality. Again, we're talking about um, LGBTQ. Capitalism. Fiscal responsibility. It's ironic that they would say fiscal responsibility because that's something that the Republicans have always said they are. But remember, during the time Donald Trump was president, they added $7 trillion to the budget. That doesn't sound conservative or responsible. And the Judeo-Christian values. And that's, that's the interesting thing here. They want to make this country a completely Christian country, based on Christianity. They want to see the churches control our government, as opposed to the government controlling our churches, which is what Lauren Boebert flat out said. But this country isn't based on just Christian values. There are different kinds of of, uh, people who worship gods or, or religions, and they have that right to. And you know where they got that right from? In the fucking Constitution. So they want to cherry pick out of the Constitution. They want to interpret it in different ways, just like they do with the fucking Bible. This is a fascist group of people. They can say what they want about the Democrats, but all they are doing is what they always do. They are projecting. They are blaming or accusing the Democrats of the very things they are doing. Now, here's another bit of good news. This is interesting, and I'm not surprised because, again, Republicans have proved day in and day out that they are some stupid motherfuckers. With its decision overturning Roe v. Wade and ending national protections for abortion rights, the Supreme Court gave the religious right its greatest policy victory since the mass movement of white evangelical Protestants joined hands with the Republican Party more than 40 years ago. This has been going on a while. Now, the problem here, the religious rights unpopular policy of banning abortion is now a reality, at least in certain states. And this is what I've said before. The Republicans have fought to... um, fight to overturn Roe v. Wade. They've campaigned on it. They fundraised on it. And now it's happened. So now they've got nothing to fundraise on. They've got nothing to uh, uh, get votes on. They can no longer hide behind Roe and express support for unpopular policies that will never become law. They will have to defend abortion bans and other unpopular restrictions pushed by an emboldened religious conservative movement. Unfortunately, the the general population in this country, 65% of the people are for Roe v. Wade. This is what I mean about the midterms. How can you piss off 50% plus of the country by taking constitutional rights away from women and also pissing off 65% of this country who support Roe v. Wade? 
Not all those people are Democrats. There are a lot of Republicans there. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are Republican women and men that have had abortions that in the future will be in a situation where they will need it again. And they aren't going to buy into this because if you're young and childbearing age, this affects you now. It doesn't affect me, but it affects those people. And they aren't going to stand still and watch them do this to them. Republicans are already seeing how unpopular banning abortion can be. In the first vote on abortion since the court's June's decision, of course, the voters in Kansas, a state that decisively voted to reelect Donald Trump, rejected a referendum that would have overturned a state Supreme Court decision protecting abortion rights and did so by a double-digit margin that exceeded Trump's win there. So Kansas is a very conservative state, and the Republicans in Kansas got cocky, and they said, we want to um, add this amendment so we can ban abortions. (laughs) And the voters in Kansas, a conservative state, says, the fuck you are. And they voted against it in a big way. It got destroyed in the vote. It's no longer a theoretical possibility, Melissa Deckman, CEO of the Public Religion Research Institute, which tracks public opinion on politics and religion. She said about the prospect of abortion bans, it's actual reality, and we're seeing a backlash. This should come as no surprise to Republicans, but it is. The religious rights policy agenda has always played second fiddle to other priorities of the conservative coalition that powered Ronald Reagan to victory in 80 and secured dominance for decades. So this is a prime example when somebody says to you, Be careful what you wish for, because you might get it. This one item, this overturning of Roe v. Wade, may be the one thing that sinks the Republican Party when we come to the midterms. It really might. Then you throw in all the other things, the J6 committee, the um, suppressing of votes, the lying, the criminality, the corruption— This is why I say I don't know how anybody can sit here and tell me that the Republicans got this thing dicked on the midterms. They do not. They do not. Everything they are doing is unpopular. And every time they try to do something, they make it worse for themselves. Case in point. When Manchin and Schumer kind of game the Republicans, they get mad and they turn down the uh, money for veterans who were exposed to burn pits. They got hammered about that. So what happened? They had to backstep and pass it just to get them off their asses. But here's the thing. These veterans aren't forgetting this. They know why they backed off because they were getting heat about it. And that wouldn't suggest that um, they wouldn't do it again. Now, the Republican Party must deal with the consequences of putting such an unpopular policy agenda into motion and learn whether it will crack their coalition. And it looks like it already has. Um, it's like when the dog catches its tail, it's kind of like, well, what's next, Bradley Onishi, an associate professor of religious studies at Skidmore College and co-host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast. Now, the the public broadly disapproves of the court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and opposes policies that ban abortions. Nearly two-thirds of Americans oppose the decision in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. 62% believe that the abortion should be illegal in all or most cases, according to the Pew Research Poll. So you see what's happening here. They were so arrogant, they were so cocky, they thought they can shove this down people's throats and people would just go along with it, the Republicans anyway. But even these people have different opinions about this particular case. These people are just as much involved in abortions and and having the right to choose and to have some control over their own bodies. It doesn't make a difference if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Somebody takes a constitutional right away from you, that is a red flag, and they fucked up. 
And I'm sure Mitch McConnell is angry that the Supreme Court came down with this decision when they did. If they were ever going to do this, they'd want to do it after the midterm so that they could get whatever votes they wanted and then enact it. But they didn't do that. They fucked up again. And this one situation may be the one thing that sinks it for the Republicans. But even if it's not, there's so much other shit. They don't have a fucking prayer. Here's the uh, last story. Former Trump Attorney General William Barr has modified his views on the Department of Justice investigation into the efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. CBS News correspondent Catherine Herridge interviewed Burr after the DOJ subpoenaed former White House Pat Cipollone and Patrick Philbin, his deputy, Herridge asked, do the new grand jury subpoenas suggest that the Justice Department is squarely focused on former President Trump? Now, remember, Barr always said, well, they're just going for the low-level guys. Barr says in response, I think it definitely is a significant event. It changes my view on what's been going on, he continued. From my standpoint, it looked to me like the department was really focusing on the lower-level people. As you know, since the election, they've been going after people who went into the Capitol. And I didn't think they were paying that much attention to the higher-ups and were sort of leaving it to congressional committees, Barr explained. But this suggests to me that they are taking a hard look at a group at the top, including the president and the people immediately around him who were involved in this. And that's interesting he should say that because he's one of such He was one of the closest people to Donald Trump. He was the attorney general. Maybe he's getting scared. Since he left office, he's been doing whatever he can to try to rehabilitate his image. But again, as I've said many times before, you're a little late for that. We went through what we went through. You did what you did. Nobody is going to forget that. He's now trying to cover his ass, but it's not going to work. What's happening is obvious, so he has to answer the way he did, but he's right. You know, a lot of people thought that nobody, Donald Trump or any of the people around him, would be accountable or they would go after him because it would cause too much divisiveness and problems in the country. But this has become so egregious and so blatant that there'll probably be more problems if they don't indict these people. This is an unprecedented situation. This is like something we've never seen in our history. So to try to compare it to past history is fucking ridiculous. And this is just yet another thing that's going to kick the Republicans in the ass for the midterms. You've got overturning Roe v. Wade and now this January 6th committee. There are people at the top, people in Congress that will be taken down because of this. And if you don't think that's going to impact the midterms, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You can't destroy a party and then expect them to win. In addition to the fact that the party is already divided, you've got the 30% Trump but you've got some more reasonable minds in the Republican Party. And once this has all been exposed and they know what's going on, you're going to find a lot of people hard-pressed to align themselves with people that are fucking criminals, even if they are Republicans. So the Republicans are in deep shit. Everywhere they turn, they're in trouble. And every time they open their mouth or do fucking anything, they fuck themselves over. I see this as a steady decline and an ultimate crash of the Republican Party. And I hope that's true. I hope the midterms, we get the Democrats solidly in the majorities and we can start doing the things that we need to do. And I said this in a TikTok. I said, look, Joe Biden's polls are pretty low. Don't know really why. Maybe the inflation, maybe the gas prices, that's all coming down. He's getting this this inflation reduction bill passed. That's a big deal. That's an unprecedented deal. If we've got the uh, inflation coming down, if we've got the gas prices coming down between now and November, 
throw in all the J6 committee shit that's going to be exposed and people being taken down and indicted, and then you throw in Roe v. Wade, please tell me how you think the Republicans are going to win. What happened in Kansas is an indicator of what we can expect. And the Republicans know this, they see this, and they are shitting their pants currently because they know they fucked up and they continue to fuck up. So it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm a firm believer that the Republicans are going to pay a high price at the midterms. And let's not even talk about 2024, because if they get crushed in the midterms and Joe Biden and the Democrats come out, pass a bunch of stuff, they are going to be flying high and make it an easy win for whoever the Democratic candidate is in 2024. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me. I will tell you that tomorrow's show will be Ed and I will be talking about things like this and other things. So be sure to check that show out. I'll be back probably alone on Monday. Maybe not. I don't know. It depends. There will always be a Rational Boomer podcast, though. Trust that. I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.